This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 517 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and the United States Dressage Federation. On today's episode, we will have Kristen Brown from USDF to tell us about the Regional Schooling Show Award Program, as well as Sonia Keating to update us on Safe Sport, and we will introduce our newest book for the Book of the Every Other Month Club. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Did you like that one, Reese? I like that one. Sorry, I think I laughed. To, yeah, it used to be the every, every month club, but we, we couldn't keep that together. So yeah, we would be every yes. other month club. We're, we're every, every, every other month now. Exactly. And I, I'm excited about this book and, and sharing it with you guys here in a little bit. So uh, yeah, but Phil, how are you this week? I'm really tired, actually. Yeah, you had a big horse show over the weekend, didn't big you? Big horse show over the weekend. Lots of lots of riders. I actually didn't take any any of our own horses just because it's sort of we're having a late spring summer happening up here. Yeah. So I haven't really ridden outside a lot, and my indoor isn't of the full twenty sixty. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit short of that. So you know, the horses I want to ride are like third level, and I need to practice the patterns. Yeah. I'm just, you know, sure. making a ton of excuses as well. Here, as <laughs> well, weather not good, say, you know, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Exactly. <laughs> but I Sometimes. really, really, really like to be super prepared because, prepared. you know, fine. as a professional, I'm representing, you know, my horse owner and her as a breeder and her horses. So I, maybe a little over preparation is not a terrible thing. No, no. And, and, you know, at sometimes, and, and I don't know about everyone, how your professional riders are, but sometimes, um, I, I will not show my own horses when I show with my clients. Cause really it's a lot <laughs> and it becomes yeah. a lot, be a lot especially a lot, lot yeah. to get done in one day. And exactly. Um, and you want to do, like you said, you want to have the best horse show. So I try not, I, I, I'm also like you, Phil, I, I sometimes won't take my, uh, my personal horses when I go to shows and I'll take them separately. So, or I yeah. show them or whatever, whatever. So, but so it sounds I'll like get going soon. Don't worry. Yeah. You're going to see some I'll, results. Yeah. Oh yeah. It sounds like you guys had a great weekend. And yeah, um, we did. Uh, the weather's supposed to be bad, but it turned out to be good to, you know, okay. And yeah, we had a lot of fun and I really enjoy supporting my riders and seeing them do well and it was great it was great but it takes a lot out of you yeah it does it does monday's off are usually necessary after a horse show so Mm -hmm. good i'm glad um i hope you enjoy your day and and this is quite a fun week for us because phil this is our one-year anniversary for being the official podcast of uscf so that's pretty fun yeah and this is actually reese's seventh seventh anniversary with the horse radio network Yep, seventh and June first is my seventh anniversary. Yeah. Which you know, you start saying this, and I think everyone can understand. Sort of like, I went to college. I mean, you know, high school twenty years ago. Like what? <laughs> you know, same thing. Like I've been doing this for seven years. Wow, and uh, we're still going strong and having a good time. And we're as always really thankful for all our listeners and and for you guys making it possible. So uh, it's a, it's always a fun fun day. And it, I feel like we were just sitting in the chair just did this a year ago. So it's really fun. So. 
Phil, you came on the show a couple episodes later. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My my anniversary is in a, in a couple of weeks, so. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, have, we'll see we'll if we can get we can get Glenn on. You know, yeah, he's yeah we usually try to have getting a busier and busier. He's doing so many podcasts now, and I and, know uh, we can't we can barely get a hold of him. So. <laughs> but he will he'll come on for our anniversary show, so that's really fun. So great, great year, and it's been a great year with USDF, and we look forward to many more. So, but kind of in that note, we're gonna actually have a quick commercial break from USDF and come back with Kristen Brown from USDF about a new program. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, today for our USDF segment on our USDF show, we're really excited to have Kristen Brown. She is USDF Senior Coordinator, and she has been on the show before. So we're so happy to have you on. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. I enjoy being back. Well, there is a really cool program. I'm glad I do this show because, honestly, I wouldn't know about these, these programs unless I did the show. So tell us all about the new USDF Regional Schooling Show Awards Program. USDF is really excited about this new program. It starts on December 1st, 2019, and the competition year for the Regional Schooling Show Awards Program will run from December 1st to November 30th every year. Primarily focuses on the USDF group member, and in order to participate, the rider has to have a USDF group membership. The program also encompasses non-USEF licensed, non-USDF recognized competitions. And so it gives our grassroots competitors a chance to that are out there in the schooling shows and in the non-recognized licensed competitions, a chance to get some recognition. And one of the other benefits of this program is instead of it being a national program, the standings for this uh, schooling show program are going to be per region. So we're going to have standings for each of the USDF nine regions, which is unique unto this program. Fantastic. So tell us a little, we need to have a group member membership, and then what happens sure. from there? So in order for a group member to participate in the program, it is per horse rider combination. And each year, the rider and the horse must be nominated. And we're going to have the nomination form available on the USDF website in July of this year so that they can start filling out these forms and getting nominated so they can participate in the program starting December 1st. Very simple form. Online, there is a nomination fee, and it will be $35 per horse rider combination per year. Whether you compete just in one level or several levels, but it's per year per horse rider combination. And then is there an award given out to uh, a horse rider combination in each division? You know, first level, training level, second level, or or how are the awards given out? Within the program, there is going to be four different divisions. We're going to have the junior young rider division the adult amateur division, 
the open division, which is going to be for the professional competitors. And then we have a non-professional division. And the difference between the adult amateur and the non-professional division primarily is the adult amateur rider must possess a current USEF adult amateur card, and non-professionals do not have to possess a current USEF adult amateur card, and they are not professionals as well. So it gives the, the adult amateur who doesn't necessarily have the USEF status a chance to compete, but yet not be compared in the rankings with the professionals. And oh, that's then, interesting. Okay. So, so if you have, so for example, sometimes I have like a barn manager, like technically right? they have to show in the open division, but they're not professional riders. They just, you know, there's a $600 limit. I think they, they reach the limit for taking care of horses. Would those riders be eligible to ride in the non-professional division? I believe so. Okay. So, so the professionals, cool. the professionals are your professional competitors based on the USEF rules. Okay. If they are have the possess the USEF adult amateur card, then they would be in the adult amateur division. If they are not professional for the USEF rule, but they yet do not possess the adult amateur card, then yes, they would fall into that adult amateur non-professional division, provided of course they meet the age requirement to be an adult. And, you know, not a junior young rider. Fantastic. So once you go online and you fill out the form and you pay your your money, 30. then what happens? Correct. Like, do the horse shows submit your scores or do you or how does that work? So how it's going to work is the competitions must also apply to participate in the program because that's how we are going to know which competitions are going to be eligible, those scores are going to be eligible in those competitions. They have to compete, a, the competition management has to complete a application and they have to submit their prize list to USDF. And there is a yearly per competition fee of $25. So if the rider that's nominated competes at the show and the competition has applied, then after the competition, the rider will then go on within 21 days after the end of the competition, and they will use the online or the online results submission form that we're going to have available for them, and they will use the drop-down boxes to provide us with their information saying, I competed in this class, earned this score, and they'll be able to submit their results to us online competitions will submit the results to us via the online electronic USDF electronics results submission standard format. And then we'll be able to cross-reference those and verify that the scores were earned and they're accurate. And then using that information, once the requirements are met, we will be ranking our riders that have nominated for this program in preliminary standings per region. Oh, fantastic. So will the scores at the end of the year be per region or are they a total score for the country? Yes, the, the preliminary standings will be per region and the region that the rider will be based in will be based on their address in the USDF database as of November 30th, which will be the end of the competition year. They can earn scores in any of the nine regions. 
but their standings, their preliminary standings will be based on their region in which they reside. Well, how cool is this? I think this is such a cool program. I'm so glad you were able to come on and tell us about it. It really is cool. And, and I look forward to, to doing it with a bunch of my students. So I think it's fantastic. So Kristen, if our, our listeners have any questions, how do they find you online? If anyone has any questions, they can reach me online or they can also go to the USDF website and under the awards tab, the Regional Schooling Show Awards Program is listed and there's a link that'll take you directly to that page and they can click on questions and it'll come directly to me or my email address is cbrown at usdf.org and my phone number is 859-971-7361 and they're more than welcome to call me directly. I'll be happy to answer any questions that we have. Fantastic. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Well, right after this break from Kentucky Performance Products, I was actually seeing online, there's a lot of questions about some new safe sports initiatives that are coming out. And I hope Sonia Keating from USEF will help kind of with those questions. The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase vitamin and mineral supplement is a low calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Well, tonight I am very excited and and very thankful that Sonia Keening, General Counsel from USEF, is here on the program. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, the internet has been lit up this week on the new safe sport policy, so we really felt like it was important that we talk to you and we kind of help get the message out about some of the new updated safe sport items that have just come out. So we're just going to let you take it away. Okay, great. Well, first, thank you all. We really appreciate any opportunity that that we're given to try to communicate with our membership to help them better understand any new requirements. And we believe that with respect to these new policies, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. Um, And we are working to continue to communicate out uh, to the membership. But First, just by way of background, because there seems to be a lot of confusion about the discretion that USDF has in terms of implementing these. You all may have seen, and we've heard from some some junior riders saying, you know, please, can you reconsider some of these? So last year in February, Congress passed two amendments to statutes, and part of that passage was under this whole Safe Sport initiative. And part of it was they authorized the U.S. Center for Safe Sports in Denver, Colorado, 
to serve as the only national organization that has jurisdiction over investigating and resolving any types of reports of, of misconduct, sexual misconduct, involving participants in the 50 Olympic sports. In addition to that, they've, they've authorized them as, as an educational body. One requirement that Congress did impose, and it went broader than just the NGBs, the national governing bodies, was that we must implement reasonable, what they call one-on-one -on -one, um, policies that would regulate the, the interactions between an adult and a minor athlete. So in other words, Congress is saying, um, look, youth serving sports organizations, it's time for you to have some sort of reasonable procedures in place that limits these one-on-one -on -one interactions with adults and minor athletes. And what you need to do is ensure that they are interacting in environments that are open, they're observable, and they're interruptible. The U.S. Center for Safe Sports developed some what we refer to as model policies, if you will, concerning these, you know, this mandate from Congress. And as a result of that, there were some requirements from the center as to what the NGBs must implement. So you've got these policies that are being implemented across the country in 50 different sports. So you're going to see these in hockey, in um, tennis, in golf, and any sport that's part of the Olympic program, these policies are going into effect. Got it. So, so can kind of explain the policies a little bit, like kind of what, what do we need to know here on this one? Sure. Well, I think one really, what's really getting a lot of attention right now, um, and one important policy to be familiar with is the electronic communications policy. Um, what's important to know about that one is it follows the person even away from the horse show. So in other words, that person is bound by that policy no matter where they are or when it occurs. And so what that policy is intended to do is to prohibit private electronic communications between a minor athlete and adult. That has some people in distress that that's going to be too burdensome. All they have to do is add another adult. It can be the legal guardian of the minor or it can be an assistant trainer or some other adult on those communications. Um, and that will, that will satisfy the requirements of that policy. So what does the policy and, exactly say? Like, you cannot be Facebook friends with your student? Like, how, do, how does that work? No, and that's, I'm glad you asked about yeah. the Facebook because that's what's got a lot of people, a lot of confusion. You yes. are permitted, an adult is permitted to have a minor athlete as a Facebook friend or Instagram follower or what have you. It's okay to comment on the post as long as that's open. What is prohibited is like any kind of, you know, Facebook messaging where it's going from the adult to the minor only, text messages, any kind of direct messaging that's private between the adult and the minor athlete. And the reason why they've, they've develop these policies is because oftentimes that's where a lot of the grooming begins. A lot of grooming of these athletes begins and a lot of building the trust and having that access to that athlete is through these private communications. So 
the thought is that by eliminating that and ensuring that there is another adult who's a party to these, that's going to eliminate the opportunities for the grooming, thereby reducing the opportunities for abuse. Okay. So, so if you're, for example, you have minor students under 18 and you're scheduling a lesson, you just have to, you know, text or Facebook with their parent as well is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it can be their parent. If you, you know, you know, of course, all, everybody has a different business model. You know, some have have very big barns and they have other staff that, that work there. Some are much smaller, but even if you have another person that works with you, whether it's an assistant trainer or somebody in the office and you copy, um, you copy another adult and that's, permissible as well. So I think the other thing, you know, I try to kind of gather questions that were going around Facebook and, you know, I've, I've certainly taken minor students to horse shows. We've all stayed in the same room. You know, they're all female. I think that's probably going to be an issue as well now, isn't it? Not, not really, because if that's going to occur, that can occur with consent from the legal guardian. So in other words, if you've got an adult who's bound by these policies, who's, who's not a legal guardian, they really should not be riding alone with an unrelated minor unless there's some sort of emergency circumstances. And if there's at least two other minor athletes or another adult in the car, then you're good. So, but otherwise, and the safest thing to do really is just to obtain parental consent. Now, as a, a service, to the members and to trainers, we, we have already had some inquiries in terms of, okay, well, but what does a consent, what, what's written consent look like? Sure. Um, we have drafted just some sample language. These are not liability waivers. They're just mm-hmm. consent. It's just consent language. So we have drafted just some sample that they might want to consider. They're not required to use what we've put together, but we did have a lot of people asking if we would provide something. And that is available on our website on the safe sport page at the bottom of that page where there's PDFs, there are um, some sample consent language, which would include one for travel. Okay, great. Uh, Anything else that you feel like we should know on this one? I, those are my main questions, but anything else that we as members should sort of, or trainers as myself, like what should I know about this particular new updated safe sport in terms of all in terms of these new minor athlete abuse prevention policies yes well i think i would think of it in terms of these were initially intended to try to because the congressional mandate was to limit the one-on-one interactions between an adult and a minor athlete and so you know i would just be very mindful that when you're working with a minor and really even as a best practice at home um now the one-on-one doesn't apply at home. The electronic communications does, but just but the one-on-one interaction doesn't. But as a best practice um, to create a safe environment, then I would I would try to restrict those one-on-one interactions as much as you can, and ensure mm-hmm. that you're always interacting with them in an open, you know, in an open, observable, and interruptible space. For you know, for some of these, there's interactions that are permitted in a one-on-one, like training sessions. If you're going to do a one-on-one training session at, let's say, a USCS-sanctioned activity, then the only thing we would ask if if a parent or another adult can't observe is that you just simply get uh, written consent from the parent to document that. And then I would just maintain um, I would just maintain a record of that. So if there's ever some kind of reported violation, you have 
a record that you did, in fact, obtain parental consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things where, you know, I think people are, are concerned. And, you know, I also teach a lot of minors. Most of my most of my students are over 18. So I, you know, but if you do have a bunch of minors and, and I have a niece and these are things, that, you know, obviously that are, are meant to limit uh, exposure. And, and I think a little bit of explanation is always helpful for, for people. So we really thank you very much for coming on the show. And if people have questions and, and I, there's, I'm, I'm like, just pulled up an internet page and it's going crazy. Where can they sort of direct their questions if they have them? So they can, I mean, they can direct their questions to me anytime. My email address is S K E A T I N G at U S E org, Or, you know, they can even call me all our, information is available on the website. And if you get into the safe sport policy, you'll see three people identified in there. I'm one of them. Teresa Roper, she's the safe sport program coordinator at USDF. She's an excellent resource and one to, to contact with any questions. And Emily Pratt and her information is, is listed too. So we can be contacted by email or by telephone. And, you know, we're happy to answer any questions to try to help, you know, clarify any kind of confusion out there. Fantastic. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for coming on. You've been awesome. Every time we've asked you to come on and, and kind of help explain to our to our listeners, we really appreciate it. And again, don't hesitate to contact Sonia if you have any questions. So thank you again for your time. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for the opportunity. Well, Phil, we have a great announcement for our total saddle fit tip of the week because we have a great new book club coming book coming up but talk to us first about how it's going with your stability stirrup leathers well i think i just continue to love them more and more every week their unique design creates broad contact area on the flap offering incredible stability unmatched by traditional leathers and you know i just want to talk about the quality of products that are coming from totalsaddlefit.com the the leather is top-notch you know if you see them in a store you can see that for sure but ordering online is no problem because if you don't like them you have 30 days to send them back and they're going to pay for the shipping as well so there's you know you're you're not risking anything by by ordering these stirrup leathers and you're going to love them i can pretty much promise it because uh, recent i do and we have ridden in a lot of saddles and tested a lot of stirrup leathers over the years haven't we reese it's true, and we love them. They're fantastic. So we truly, we use them every day, and, and we put them through the ringer for sure. So we are happy, happy to tell you about them, and I love them. They've really helped me with, with Big Mike for sure. Well, next up, Reese, for our Saddle Fit tip, we are going to get to our book club book of the month, or of every other month. Maybe that's what how we've been <laughs> doing it lately. But we have the author of The Riding Doctor, Beth Gloston on the show, and we're going to get right to her interview right now. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, tonight I am excited because, Phil, it is our announcement for our next book 
Club book. And this was a request from one of our readers. They wanted to talk about rider fitness and rider health. So we found, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the book now, and it is the perfect fit. And it is The Riding Doctor, a prescription for healthy, balanced, beautiful riding now and for years to come. And we are very happy that we have the author, Beth Gloston, MD, on the program. Beth, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, like you said, I literally am like, oh, my hip flexors and this and that. So I'm like <laughs> currently going through the book. Like I need to do that right after the show. But yeah, you have to close the book for now. And we're going to do the interview. Reese, so let's get into some questions for Beth. How about that? <laughs> so Beth, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I grew up riding. I was fortunate to have a horse when I was a kid and I rode with Pony Club. Great experience. But then uh, gave up horses for a while to go away away to a number of years of school, college and medical school, and then residency training. And finally, after I finished all that, I thought, hmm, could horses be in my life again? And I found a way. And boy, when I returned to riding after being away for, for so long, it was really hard. All that natural balance I had was a ki- as a kid was was just gone. So I, I I kind of started to approach it as I might approach a clinical problem in medicine. It's like, what does it take to ride well? And watching riders and what did brilliant riders do? And, and then the other thing that happened was I, I ended up having a lot of back issues and actually ended up needing surgery for um, my back problems. And and then I was really faced with, how am I going to keep riding? Um, and then I really got serious about trying to figure out a way to be able to ride and not further cause a problem to my back. So again, I watched riders and I was diligent with doing all my physical therapy and so forth to take care of my body. And I knew I needed to do something beyond the short set of, of PT after surgery. I, need a pro, I needed a program. I needed something to, that was ongoing. Um, and so I found the Pilates system of exercise, which worked really well for me. And I found that after I do my sessions and then I'd go ride, that I had access to my body in a different way. So the movement exercises I was doing, again, to try to get stronger and, and more flexible and so forth, were actually helping me ride. So that got me really excited. Um, and in my other kind of studies of what makes uh, good riders great, I was also very excited when I realized that the great riders you see are holding and supporting their body in a healthy way. They are supporting their body in good posture um, and they're moving their body in a way to move with the horse and not kind of jar or jam their body against the horse. And so it was, okay, I believe that riding in a way that's balanced with good posture, moving with the horse is not only healthy, but it's actually consistent with good riding. Um, A great rider moves in a way that uses the body efficiently and in balance. So that was my journey um, through injury and, and, and rehab and, and trying to sort out, can I ride? And, and the answer was yes. So after all my surgeries and stuff, I've, I've been able to continue riding 
and was inspired to share my findings with others. And that's when I started um, my my business of teaching Pilates and teaching teaching writers. So I think I think your story is kind of a common one from the perspective of you know writing when we're young and then coming back to it after years of school or having a family or you know we have recent I have lots of students that, that tell us this story but maybe not to go as far as to become a pilates instructor and to write a book what what inspired you down uh, down that path was it just uh, your your love of 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 the fitness and and and, and of the writing or tell tell us about that a bit sure i well i really was um encouraged that that I and I recognized that I wasn't alone in coming back to writing or starting writing when you're older the body has in a way its mind of its own it it takes some effort to sort out our movement habits that interfere with good writing and and so I wanted to offer that 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 message of you can do this it may not be as easy to learn to ride when you're older is when you're a kid, but it's definitely doable. Um, I also was an academic physician when I was in medicine and and did a lot of writing and and book chapters and articles and stuff. And so that mode of getting information out to people was familiar to me. Um, And so I, I took on the project of organizing how I think a writer should ride well Uh, with that background of, of having done some you know, nonfiction explanatory writing before. So it, it fit into to work I'd done before. And I, I wanted to offer a, a, a little bit of a different way of looking at the writer's body. And that is more from my eye of knowing the human body. And so I tried in the book to describe how the body works in, in, um, in simple terms uh, and describe how to ride in ways that are consistent with how the human body works. And so it's a, I, I, I was inspired to offer a little, a different, a little bit different voice um, to the what was out there um, and talking about how to ride well. What are some of the most common issues you see in riders? When If you were going to say, okay, these are my top three kind of places that areas of concern, what, what would you say they are? Yeah, the I'd say the probably the the most common challenge for riders is to get away from using just their legs to grip on the horse to stay stable, um, and that that with practice and awareness and as you might imagine, I'm a huge advocate of off horse exercises to mm-hmm. gain access to the tools in the body that I think. Are, are so helpful for riding well, that riders can find security in a way by gripping with the legs or tightening the shoulders. They find that security in a way that interferes with their ability to communicate with the horse and actually can interfere uh, with how the horse goes. And so when I work with a rider um, who's maybe fairly new to riding, I just try to introduce ideas of finding balance from being centered in the saddle and feeling grounded in the saddle from support from from correct posture and core muscles so the the rider carries themselves over the middle of the horse 
not being reliant on the legs gripping, that mo- that their security isn't from the uh, clothespin legs. So that's probably one of the most common. And then I'd say for riders who are who have figured that out and maybe not so dependent on legs for security in the saddle, then even subtle changes in posture um, and the support of the torso, the support of the rider center of the horse can have big effects again on 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 clarity, the aids, rein aids and leg aids can become more more subtle. So those are so postural issues and mm-hmm. and stability issues are 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 the most common I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I know that I'm I'm always working on those things as well. So me too. <laughs> from, from when you begin yeah, to sure. forever and ever. You, <laughs> yeah, gotta, forever. You've got to be able to support yourself right. on the horse better and better. So I'm just checking out the book. There are tons and tons of exercises. We can't wait to get to them. Let's talk a little bit about what sort of equipment am I going to need to. Uh, to do the exercises in the book? Oh, not much at all. Okay. The, a lot of the exercises yeah, good. you can, um, so no excuses there. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot for of sure. the exercises <laughs> you could do on a chair, although they're shown on an exercise ball. And okay. the I like the exercise ball because <laughs> if it moves off to the left, it's because you're not in balance. When we're on the horse, we can sometimes blame it on the horse. But when you're sitting on a ball and then assuming the floor is flat that you're on, if you're not stable, the balls are going to move. So you get this immediate feedback the of where your where your balance is. So I really like the ball for that. And in the book, I've described how to find one that's a good size. Um, other than that, I use free weights, but you could use, you know, cans of tomato sauce. Um, and I use some stretchy okay. bands, but you can use some just a towel. So um, and a mat someplace. Many, many of the exercises are done on the floor. So someplace where you could be comfortable to line your back and belly. So not very much. Okay. That's fantastic. Cool. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are, who are used to exercising at home will already have this equipment. You know, if you're doing yoga or, yeah. or any kind of Pilates, you're already using, you know, exercise ball and that kind of thing. So, so that's great. So I think a lot of, uh, amateur riders, who maybe will ride once or twice, maybe even three times a week, are looking for for ways to get more fit and to work on their fitness and their balance off of the horse. So I think this is going to be really, really helpful for them. Oh, thank you. Great. I hope so. I hope so. That's my goal. Well, fantastic. Well, Beth, um, can you give us some information on how we can find the book? Sure. The I had a wonderful experience working with uh, Trafalgar Square Press. The book is available through Horse and Ride, their website, Horse and Rider Books. And um, I have a website, it's riderpilates.com, and there's a link to Horse and Rider Books there for the book. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to, like I said, even professional riders. Phil and I have to work on our posture as well and, and our strength, so we're all going to enjoy the book. So thank you so much for coming on the show, and, and we look forward to getting into it in the next couple months. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. I hope we had a listener request a, a fitness book. So we we try to deliver on that and, and we are always happy to help. And, and please feel free to send us any kind of uh, emails. We always love them. The United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org. 
usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or you can email philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And happy anniversary for the USDF show. We're really happy that we were able to bring you a year's worth of uh, fun, fun things. And we look forward to many more. And as always, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. And we will talk to you next week.